As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. Presented by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic. Sign up at BetMGM.com using the promo code THEATHLETICPOD. Pete Sampson joined as always by Matt Fortuna today, a special guest. You'll probably recognize him from the sideline report uh, from Scott Stadium on on Saturday night, who is definitely more appropriately dressed than Matt or I for the conditions. Uh, Tom Luganbill from ESPN ABC. Tom, thanks for uh, hopping on the podcast with us Um yeah, mostly I just I want to start with just sort of the experience on Saturday night. I think it was the first time you had called a Notre Dame game, um, or you know, been sidelined for a Notre Dame game. What what did you sort of take out of that experience and sort of interacting and being around the program? Well, if you remember, the actual other one that I did was Hurricane Matthew on the road against NC State. So you guys were noting about my I, sideline. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I blocked that out. Um, right? I'm not sure how I could ever forget that game. I know. So you notice my sideline attire and uh, I've learned my lesson. I can tell you. And on that <laughs> night back, or it wasn't even at night, but it was so dark. It seemed like it was a night. It was a noon kick on that day. That was the day that Gore-Tex was defeated, truly defeated <laughs> on, on that particular day. So I knew it was going to be a little bit cool on the sideline, wore a nice uh, warm coat. Listen, I, I think that it was one of those environments where the road team was very, very quickly able to take the environment out. You know, you guys were standing back in that corner when I was visiting with you, and that that student section that was filling in on the grassy knoll was really rambunctious, really loud. Notre Dame was able to stay out of that area. They didn't get backed up inside their own five. They didn't get backed up inside their own ten continually. So they controlled the crowd, took the crowd out of it, and then, as you guys noticed, um, as, as the game started to get away from Virginia – people just started dispersing out of the stadium and it really almost became a little bit more like a scrimmage atmosphere where Notre Dame could control all of the elements. Tom, what, what were your impressions of this team up close? I mean, I think, you know, everyone knew there's a reason the line kept growing when Brendan Armstrong was out, Notre Dame was, was going yeah. to be the heavily favored team, but at least for me and Pete, I mean, we're, we're there on the sideline pregame. We see Myron Tagovailoa-Mosa out, Drew White out. We're like, shoot, they're down four captains. This isn't the yeah. deepest defense in the world. Maybe this will be more of a game than we thought it would be, and it obviously wasn't. 
Yeah, you know, they caught Virginia. And actually, Brian Kelly, in our postgame interview, he stated that, you know, he goes, we didn't get a chance to catch Virginia with their best player on the field. He acknowledged it. He was right. And that changed everything. It, it really, what it did is negated any negatives due to loss of bodies on the defensive side because removing Virginia's quarterback uh, really changed the whole set of, of scenarios. And, you know, I thought it was I thought it was interesting defensively what Marcus Freeman chose to do to start the game, continue through the second quarter, and, and that was to create ways to confuse the young quarterback, to create pressure, to generate some sacks. I think they end up with nine sacks in the game. Um, like eight, uh, yeah. oh, eight or nine sacks in the game, okay. But it was interesting because Notre Dame clearly in control going into halftime, but came out of halftime. And if you noticed in the third quarter, it backed off a little bit. They weren't pressuring. They were rushing three, rushing four. And then all of a sudden, that young quarterback started throwing a couple of darts and they moved the ball a little bit. Didn't generate points. But then all of a sudden, you saw that Notre Dame defense go, you know what, we might need to go back to what we were doing in the first half and just put, you know, put this thing uh, away. But I, I thought it was a very clean football game. You, you know, you asked me my impressions. And I was really glad that the week before I had Notre Dame and Purdue because I'm watching, you know, I know that Notre Dame's played Purdue. And, you know, Purdue didn't play great versus Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame did just enough. And then seeing Michigan State, and I was leaving the stadium going, who would I like more? Do I think Michigan State is better than Notre Dame? Or do I think Notre Dame is better is, is better than Michigan State? And I really don't know what the answer is. I think they are, they are so similar, all right? The, the big glaring difference is there is no 87 playing for Michigan State. And that is the big glaring difference because that guy changes uh, how you uh, defend offenses and, and, and what your personnel is on the field. Michigan State doesn't have that. But I actually would probably this week off of my impressions of those two teams probably give Notre Dame the slight nod um, right now. And um, we'll see how it plays out going forward. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm interested in everything is playoff, playoff, playoff. And I think Notre Dame's sort of like just sort of hanging around the fringe of that conversation um, for a little bit longer. But I think we'll sort of enter the chat in full in the next couple of weeks after Georgia Tech and Stanford. It, you know, four teams have to make the playoff. So answering, asking the question like, do you think Notre Dame is good enough to be a playoff team isn't really the right question because somebody has to make it with Georgia and right. probably maybe Alabama, probably Ohio State. Um, but, I mean, do you look at Notre Dame and feel like, yeah, they deserve to be in the conversation? Based on your head-to-head comparison with Michigan State, I think maybe that answers that, that they at least deserve to be under consideration. I, I believe they absolutely deserve to be under consideration. Um, but would they need a little bit of help? Do they need some things to happen in front of them to – further advance that consideration. Yeah, probably so. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the loss at home to Cincinnati. All right. You need Cincinnati to go out and lose uh, to Houston in the American conference championship game, and then not be a conference champion. Cause remember Notre Dame, they went out, will not be a conference champion. And so how much stock then will the, the committee put in, into that one variable or data point. And then we still have some corners that's going to take place starting this weekend in the big 10 East division that too has an opportunity um, to help Notre Dame. And then I think the sneaky one, the one that could help maybe as much as any, maybe maybe not as much as Cincinnati, but Oregon. Because I would not be surprised one bit if Oregon goes on the road and loses to Utah this week. I actually think Utah is playing better football right now 
than Oregon is. If that were to happen, um, you know, and then some other dominoes were to fall in the Pac-12, which would mean that an Oregon State would have to beat an Arizona State, I believe. Um, and now all of a sudden, you could potentially set up a rematch in the Pac-12 championship game and and see where it goes from there. But I think there's plenty going on around Notre Dame to keep them in the conversation. There, there's no doubt about that. If you ask me on the eye test, do I think they look like Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama right now? No, I don't think they're they're playing necessarily with that type of depth for those types of guys. And that's one man's opinion of what he's seeing, but it's also been something that has bored out to be true in previous iterations of the college football playoff. Tom, I'm curious. I mean, Utah's actually favored, surprisingly enough, against Oregon this week, yeah. which explains why you know a lot of people are picking Oregon to lose. Um, I think anyone who's watched any five minutes of college football this year can agree Georgia's number one. I think if you put 10 people in a room and ask them who number two is, you could end up with a lot of different answers. Yeah. Who in your mind right now is the second best team in college football? I think the second best team playing right now is Ohio State. I think they're the most difficult to defend. Um, they have the most athletes to be able to match match up, I think, with a Georgia, with an Alabama. Why I would pick them, let's just say, over Alabama is I, I still think Alabama right now is really working through some issues in the offensive line that has not allowed for them to run the football to the level we become accustomed to seeing. That hasn't been the case with Ohio State. Travion Henderson is a fantastic player, even though he's just a true freshman. But that offensive line's been playing really good. Their play-action passing game has been out of sight. And, you know, pick your poison when you're defending them. You know, I keep hearing people talk about Georgia, right? Okay, well, who could put up – let's just say we have to assume that you're going to have to score 40 points to have a chance to beat Georgia or score 40 points to be in it in the fourth quarter. Who has the personnel in college football right now to do that? It's probably Ohio State. Now yeah. – Defensively, the thing that's interesting about them is go look at their numbers. And I'm not a huge stats guy, but I am a big stats guy when it comes to tackles for loss, sacks, interceptions, negative plays. Ever since week three, even though that's a very young Ohio State defense, for the most part, they have been lights out in terms of changing the, the demeanor and, and the culture on that side of the ball as opposed to the previous two weeks, so much so. That if I saw that Oregon team we're seeing right now and I put them against Ohio State that we're seeing right now, I don't think that Oregon would win that game. But they didn't week two, so they deserve credit. I mean, it's a, a pretty natural segue into the Notre Dame-Cincinnati rematch if that was to happen, right? Like, right. At, at this point, Notre Dame has, has improved and Cincinnati has fallen off. You know, I think you're sort of seeing the depth of a group of five top program it's just not the same um, as a as a power five top program. You know their their injuries hurt more than they do yeah. at Notre Dame. I you know, you have a, a quarterback's point of view on a lot of things, and we were talking about Jay Wolfwalker a little bit earlier. Jack Cohn for Notre Dame. I don't know how much time you were able to sort of spend with him or on him in prep for the game. What what does his season look like from your point of view? Because I think that the Notre Dame fan base was hot on him early very cold on him in the middle. And I think has sort of come around to like a happy medium at this point going into November. Well, I think you have to appreciate his mental toughness. You have to appreciate his decision-making for the most part. But if you really ask me to peel back the layers, I think there's two different Jack Cones. All right. There is the Jack Cone that is in rhythm on time, gets the ball out of his hands. Good things happen. 
Then there's the Jack Cone that has a tendency to hold onto the ball a little too long, get locked on, not get out, get the ball out. And then all of a sudden for an offensive line that had been struggling early and you had a lot of sacks allowed, not all of those were on the offensive line. A lot of that can go onto the quarterback too, because you're not getting the ball yeah. out of your hand. And when I, when I talked to Brian Kelly, not only when we talked to him in the week leading into the game, but also in our pregame interview, you know, he acknowledged that. He said, we as coaches had to start doing a better job of engineering things in the offense that did not require him to pat the ball or hold on to the ball. And when they've done that and the ball's coming out, he gets into rhythm, he gets hot, and, and away you go. Do I think he's a guy that you're going to sit there and say, okay, we could push all of our chips to the table. We're going to say no matter what bad thing happens to us, this guy is going to win the game wholeheartedly no matter what. I don't know if I'm convinced of that, but I'm also not saying that he's a guy that you win in spite of. I think you can win games. Yeah. I think you can. There's no doubt about that. Um, but it is interesting how much timing and rhythm can play a role in the over, overall productivity of the quarterback. And I think that's impacted him uh, pretty significantly this year. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Tom, Nerdian plays Georgia Tech this week. You went to Georgia Tech. You were a quarterback there. Um, how uh, Maybe Pete scheduled for the, this week because of that. I, I think it has more to do with the game you called last week that featured Notre Dame. But um, what are your impressions uh, you know, from both close, up close and afar uh, of what Jeff Collins has built in Atlanta now in year three there? And I, I've been able to go in and out of there a few times since he's gotten hired and, and Number one, seeing what it was he inherited. And not that he inherited something bad. He just inherited something wrong, right? right? You, you arrive on yeah. campus and you have 14 scholarship running backs. You know, what are you, what are you supposed to do with that, right? You have minimal scholarship wideouts. You don't have a tight end, all right? Your offensive linemen are diminutive and they're undersized because of the scheme. And what I said from the very get-go is you don't wave a magic wand and all of a sudden reverse off. You know, 180 degrees of an 85-man roster overnight. That's that's not going to happen. It's a slow burn, and I, they're a team to me that the last two years they've shown strides, they've shown progress, but they're just not there yet. And there have been times where they've been their own worst enemy. They've been in games where if they don't turn the football over, they should win the game, even if they're not the better team. So I think they're still climbing and trying to get over that hump of not shooting themselves in the foot making smart plays, finishing out games. Um, I will say this about him, uh, about Jeff Collins and that staff. I, and I don't know how much time you guys spend on the internet, but if you're ever on Instagram, you're on Twitter, whatever, that is one <laughs> of the most master brand operators in all of college football. Like if you're a recruit or they're targeting recruiting, they are 
everywhere on social media. He's done a really good job of rebranding the program, the hashtag 404, the hashtag ATL. Um, and listen, that's the world we're living now in recruiting, right? You got to live in the young people's world. How do they communicate? What do they respond to? So I think maybe after next year, if they don't show maybe a little more significant process, maybe in two to three more wins, now you can start maybe saying, okay, when's this thing going to turn? But to this point, uh, I think it's been fairly reasonable. That's, I mean, the recruiting talk is a good segue into something I want to get in with you because, I mean, you're, one of your fortes is, you know, Under Armour All-American game, yeah. you know, the, the recruiting aspects of it. And I think that that is such a ongoing, never-ending topic with Notre Dame about closing the gap. Can you get closer to Clemson, can Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia? I, I am skeptical that, one, I, I don't think they will ever close it, close it. Can they narrow it? That's a different conversation. What I mean, what do you make of just Notre Dame's overall talent level? And how realistic is it to just get a little bit closer to those other schools? I tell you, Pete, I haven't heard it phrased that way, but that is perfectly phrased. Could you close it and lock it and be there step in step with a Clemson or Ohio State or an Alabama or Georgia every single time you play? I don't know. Um, can you Can you narrow it? I, not only do I think they already have, I probably believe that they could narrow it um, a, a little bit more. You know, the thing that that I have found to be some common denominators, and we could actually add Oklahoma into this conversation because as good as Oklahoma has been, um, they get into the semifinal and then they play against mm -hmm. somebody that's got superior people to them, particularly in the trenches. And now all of a sudden it diminishes all those skill guys and some of the quarterback play. Yeah. It's been hard for them to get over the hump. And so somewhat of it, I think, is footprint and proximity to where those elite level, let's just say, pass rushers or defensive tackles, you know, where are they all coming from? They're coming from the Southeast. And if, if you guys remember that 2012 team, Lewis Nix was from Florida. Stephon Tuitt was from Georgia. I right, had the linebacker out of North Carolina and Audrey Kell. There were some guys that you had Manti Tail from Hawaii. So you'd have to get, you cast a pretty wide net. So the question is like, can you get a Joey Bosa? Can you, could you get a, oh, um, the Will Anderson at Alabama? You know, could, could you get a Jordan Davis at Georgia? And then, and not five of them in a class, could you get, one or two, and then the next year get another one or two. And then maybe the next year you get one or what have you. And you start establishing that to continue to narrow it. And then I think the other thing that I would say is, yeah, you've had Michael Floyd. Um, the, the tight end position, I think, is never in question as far as the elite of the elite, as far as Notre Dame's concerned. But, boy, I just – I try to imagine Notre Dame, like if they got a Devontae Smith or if they ended up – if they somehow got a Jerry Judy or they got a – Calvin Ridley or uh, uh, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and then maybe in the next class they get one more. So now all of a sudden you got two of those. I think that would help continue because it would make them more explosive, right? I mean, you look at Kyron Williams and you're like, all right, dude, that guy could play anywhere. 480 buddy. I, mean, he, he, I think Chris Tyree's in that thing. Logan Diggs looks like a really promising guy. I think that was kind of a diamond in the rough for them. But yes, it can narrow, but I, I still think, unfortunately, to do it, you have to go into some of those competitors' backyards and beat them on some of those guys, and that's always challenging. 
who, when you saw him up close Saturday, I mean, who are one or two guys who, who maybe impressed you a little bit more than, than you would have thought having seen most of these guys at some point or another in their high school careers? <laughs> First one's Joe All. It's not even yeah. <laughs> the guy has a 240 yeah. <laughs> pound tight end. Um, <laughs> and wow, has he grown and matured? And I, guys, I think you can make the argument you followed it close than I have, but when they settled in on him, Mm-hmm. was when everything else started settling together. It was interesting how that happened. And I and I know it wasn't an easy path to get there, but boy, watching him, he's got a chance. I mean, we're three years from now, there's there's gonna be a lot of talk about that dude. So I, I thought he he stood out to me. I still think that Deion Colsey and Lorenzo Styles are gonna be really, really good players. Um, they've got tremendous upside, uh, got some size, they're ex- explosive. I mentioned Diggs. He really surprised me. I kind of felt when I was watching the game, guys, that you had you had what Kyron brought, brings you, you had what Tyree brings you, what Chris brings, and then in the middle you had the Diggs kit, who was kind of a combination of both. And I thought mm-hmm. I thought that was uh, something that was encouraging. I liked I liked what I saw there. Yeah, it's uh, in being around. I don't know how much time you get to sort of spend around Marcus Freeman. Um, you know we. As a, we talk about him as a defense coordinator a lot on the show, but as a recruiter, you sort of get did that personality come out just in production meetings about like, oh yeah, I can see why this this guy could go get a Bosa, um, he no could doubt. go get uh, Jalen Smith again. He's becoming the Pied Piper. I think he's a guy that is so dynamic in his conversational skills. He's so dynamic in his interpersonal skills. Um, he's young enough to have that gap narrowed. You know, it's it's. To, to mm-hmm. still understand how to use all the social apps and do all that stuff and really get ingrained in it. Um, and I think you could put him anywhere as a national recruiter. And he's been, he's been revered now because of the, the job he's done at Cincinnati. And then I, I think he's made his mark already at, at, at Notre Dame, but there's no question. And I think Brian Kelly and, and any head coach worth their salt, they realize it is as good as you may be as an X's and O's coach. If you don't have better players than the other team, it's not going to matter. So you better have some grinders and some difference makers in recruiting that change the the face of your roster, so that coaching becomes a lot easier instead of harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. You can throw a pass up and have the tight end catch it off the defender's back if the tight end is Michael Mayer. Right. If the tight end right. is me or you. It doesn't matter. It's it's, it's, it's exactly, and it's the same thing at the quarterback position. If if you hit on a quarter, I mean, look at Clemson right now. I mean, Clemson three straight cycles, almost 10 years, and didn't miss on a guy. Two of them were first-rounders. Now, all of a sudden, you're looking at him and you're going, this guy ain't that guy, and now look at their football team. It just shows you how important those things are in recruiting. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame saw that firsthand, right? As good as DJ looked against them in defeat, yeah. they played Trevor and got run off the field like that a couple <laughs> weeks later. So, yeah, Lawrence, that Lawrence yeah. gets pretty good. Um Tom, you, you know, you mentioned this was the first Notre Dame, Notre Dame game you had done in five years. Um, what's your relationship like with Brian Kelly? What's it like going into a room with him or, or, or meeting him on the field pregame um, when you haven't had, you know, as much face-to-face time? It is probably definitely NBC and probably a lot of your colleagues at ESPN have had. You know, for me, it's been a lot of fun to see the evolution because he probably doesn't remember this. But, you know, I used to do a lot of those midweek Mac games. It used to be on Friday nights. And now, you know, obviously they're on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. And I started off doing some of his games when he was at Central Michigan, right? And then had the did a couple of them and then had the opportunity to do a Cincinnati game here or there. And 
again, this is just my second Notre Dame game. What I've always appreciated is that oftentimes you get into those meetings and we as a crew, we always try to do ours late in the week because when you try to catch the coaches on a Tuesday and Wednesday, they are so ingrained in game planning. They got a hundred different things going on. They probably don't want to be talking to you. You're probably going to be a little bit more tight lipped, but when you get them on Friday, it's a little bit looser. It's a little bit of a better environment. And I think that helps, but he's never been one of those overly paranoid guys. If you ask him a question, he's going to give you a lengthy detailed answer. And and in my opinion, it's not necessarily going to be going to be coach speak. And um, whether it's in a meeting or we did a pre-kick interview with him and our our goal was to ask three questions, we had to cut it down to two because his answers are so detailed. But the answers he gave me weren't just the, well, we got to stay ahead of the chains and we can't get backed up on offense and we got to play on shit. You know, it wasn't all just coaching shape. I mean, he went through exactly what has to happen for Jack Cohen to be successful. He went through with me exactly what they felt they needed to do to limit explosive plays, assuming at that time Brendan Armstrong was going to play. Um, you don't often get that from everybody. You know, I think a little bit, folks are a little more paranoid, a little more tight-lipped, even as it goes with like injuries. They know we're not going to tell anybody. They know that we're not going to blow our credibility we're just trying to prepare our game plan and our play-by-play guys trying to prepare boards and, hey, is this guy going to go, go or is he not going to go, you know? And uh, it's not leaving the call, and it doesn't leave the call. And so he's never been one of those guys. I, I've always kind of appreciated that. Yeah, it's a, I think that having covered him day-to-day for 12 years now and then interacting with our other colleagues at The Athletic, I feel a little spoiled because you, you, do, you can have a – Every press conference doesn't need to be an interrogation. It can be a conversation, and you can right. learn something when you talk to him about football, which like a lot of coaches won't give you the time of the day for that educational part of it. Um, as we're sort of getting close to wrapping up here, behind you, you have a lot of Joe Montana stuff. Um, <laughs> let's see. Well, bobblehead, signed photos, of, like an action figure. Uh, Joe Montana dressed as Batman, maybe. I'm not sure if that's what's uh, I don't see uh, a Guinness mug, yeah. but I'm sure you're working on that. That is yeah. fantastic. Oh, wow. Yeah. What you, Tom, explain explain to our listeners your love of Joe Montana. So I grew up on the West Coast and um in Southern California. My dad was that well and in Arizona as well. And it was right at the time where I was five, six years old. He got drafted in 79. And for whatever reason, he was the guy that I identified with. I just loved him. And it, and my dad was uh, either at Arizona State at that time. He wasn't at San Diego State yet. He was at Arizona State and you know, some scouts and stuff would come through and all the coaches and scouts know each other. And then I was able to get up right over there on my wall. I got a 1980 or 81 black and white framed photo of, of Joe that was made out to me. I might have been five or six years old. And from that time, he he was my guy. I wore 16 my entire career. Um, I just loved everything uh, about him. And it was funny because it, I always watched the 49ers. OK, but. When he left the 49ers, I was a Chiefs fan, man. I went all I went all Chiefs, man. <laughs> on, my, on my Christmas tree, I, I, I kid you not, I have little Joe Montana, uh, like, you know, uh, ornaments like this. And one's San Francisco and one is uh, is Kansas City. So I just have always loved everything he stood for. I just thought he was, you know, outside of what Tom Brady's done, I um, I, I think he's the, the second best to, to ever do it at the, the time, particularly at the time that he did it. And just made it look effortless, man. And anytime it was clutch, he came through. You heard it here first. Tom chose a Michigan guy over a Notre Dame guy on the Notre Dame podcast. Um, <laughs> where, where, where are you this weekend, Tom? I got an intriguing one, guys. I got Nebraska at Wisconsin, which um, 
It's gonna, I think it's going to be great. I mean, it's the first game that we're going to have with Nebraska since, you know, Scott Frost let go of his offensive staff. So what's that dynamic going to look like? And, you know, you could make an argument, guys, that Wisconsin, they've gone on a six-game win streak of just really just getting after people. And this Braylon Allen kid that they've really started to showcase, Graham Mertz has settled in. And I'll tell you, I was, I was sharing with you guys before we started here, I went back and I looked at the, the results of the Penn State, Notre Dame, and Michigan game for Wisconsin. And in that those three games, Wisconsin turned the ball over 11 times. So, you know, we talk about how important players are. Well, the ball is pretty important too, you know. <laughs> and so they're playing good football right now. We'll see uh, what Nebraska's got left in the tank. Yeah, I mean, without question that uh, Wisconsin is Notre Dame's favorite team the rest of the season because it's uh, – as high as Wisconsin goes, that is going to be a, a balloon that that pushes Notre Dame up a little bit too. So uh, that 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 will be an interesting one. It's definitely uh, getting close to business time in the the Big Ten, and how that shakes yeah. out is going to have a, a big impact on what happens with Notre Dame the rest of the way. There, no question, it's going to be fun down the stretchers. There's going to be some bloody noses uh, in, in college football here over the next uh, two weeks. We're going to see who can who can last and 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 get to the end run. Awesome. Well, Tom, we really appreciate you carving out some time for us today. Enjoyed you on the call Saturday night and uh, safe travels to Chili Madison this weekend. All right. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate you guys. Thanks, Tom. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Matt. Uh, that was, I think, pretty insightful because I, I I love talking to people who have a little bit more of a finger on the pulse of recruiting. Um, I, certainly from a national perspective, I think that's that's sort of rare in the the television industry. Um, so I, yeah, I, I thought Tom had some some good insights about that. I, I honestly, I, I totally spaced the whole Georgia Tech angle. Um, I thought that what, we need to spend a ton of time talking about that game. I know. I, I thought. I realized when he was talking, I'm like, oh, yeah, he played quarterback Georgia Tech. This is why Pete wanted to talk to him so bad this week. And I was like, I oh, probably had more to do with Virginia. No, I don't think the Georgia Tech of uh, 2021 is the Georgia Tech of 1994. But it's not the Georgia Tech of 2015 or really the entire Paul Johnson era either. And, you know, I think thought Tom did a good job of explaining that. Like it's to take over a triple option program as successful as it was and to modernize it. I mean you can't get more different on the personality spectrum than Paul Johnson and Jeff Collins and the branding of Atlanta and everything Jeff Collins is doing there uh, certainly speaks to that. Yeah. It's uh, unfortunately Kyle Hamilton won't be playing. So Jeff Collins, if he busts out a Hamilton for uh, superstar, shirt, I've got one of them. There will be shout out. To there Sports won't be any brand apparel. confusion that he's like, no, no, no. I mean, Joey Hamilton. Um, but look, Georgia tech is, it's sort of, a one-man offense with Jameer Gibbs. Um, you know, Sims, their quarterback, was banged up. Um, Brian Kelly talked about, you know, if he had a vote for ACC Player of the Year, Jameer Gibbs would get it. Uh, uh, he was a big bright spot for them last year in the Georgia Tech-Notre Dame game, but that was about their only bright spot. So it's um, – look, Notre Dame has done a good job of being able to shut down one-man teams. Um, and 
if Notre Dame has a strength at stopping the run, it's what's in front of them. So I don't Jameer Gibbs and his skill set doesn't strike me as something that's overly problematic. I would be I would be more concerned if they had a a Drake London type um or Dobbs, the slot receiver from North Carolina. Um those are those are the matchups that I think really bedevil Notre Dame more than uh, an elite running back would. So I and it's, this weekend to me is it's just about covering for Notre Dame, playing somewhat well where nobody questions that you didn't, uh, and then waiting for the chaos to happen all around you, whether that is what happens in Columbus with Michigan State and Ohio State, whether that happens with uh, Iowa State and Oklahoma, which I'm not going to even get into my feelings for Matt Campbell anymore after his commentary about not trying his goals was not to win a conference championship, which just drove me insane. Um, you know, or Oregon, Utah. I mean, to me, that that's that's more interesting for Notre Dame than what actually happens with Notre Dame. Yeah, I had a buddy reach out after listening to our Saturday Night Pod who said, "How dare you overlook the last two opponents?" This was an older, longtime fan who's been scarred and still still wearing some of those scars on his sleeve, so he doesn't want us to look past any. Uh, any opponents, but I'm going to do just that. <laughs> Notre Dame's going 11 and one. We, the drama is what unfolds around them and whether that creates a path for them to get to the playoff. I will say this while we're still talking about this week's game Georgia Tech has played well on the road, surprisingly enough. They took Clubs into the final play of the game. Uh, they took a Brennan Armstrong led Virginia team to 48 40, and they lost to Miami at the end 33 uh, 30. I think there's a there's a uh, stigma out there, I think, really with all of college sports that, hey, senior day is tough to get up for. You always see the home team get like worn down by emotions pregame, yada, yada, yada. I did the math on it. Not exactly true. Um, nine and two overall, Notre Dame under Brian Kelly on senior day. Just six and five against the spread, however, including last year's game against Syracuse, which sounds crazy, I think, because they won by 24 points. But that was a one-win Syracuse team that was uh, getting 33 and a half points going into it. Saturday's game, 48 and sunny, which is nice for senior day. Uh, Especially if you're sitting in the stands. Yeah, yeah you're, you're actually going to have a great story. I don't know if you want to tease it yet. Maybe I'll let you get to that a bit. Yeah, so it, uh, if it all goes to plan, uh, and it should because it's not going to be raining or snowing, I'm actually going to go to the game and sit in the stands behind the Notre Dame bench, probably about the fourth row. Um, and instead of covering the game as like a game, I'm going to sort of watch Brian Kelly and the bench watch the game and sort of document those interactions. Cause it's, um, I've always just been sort of interested in terms of like the mechanics of that. Um, and Notre Dame versus Georgia tech is the game to do that. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping for a game that is a, a comfortable Notre Dame cover. So then I can spend a little bit more time on that than, um, you know, how Notre Dame is faring on third and long. You'll have your kids until there's a better chance than that. I'll be walking over to Wrigley field with my little one. Um, for the early game, Northwestern Purdue at Wrigley. And if all goes well, and if both teams are blowouts the way we expect them to be, we can spend the post-game podcast complaining about our, how our kids kept us from doing our jobs <laughs> and watching the games we were assigned to cover that I've day. Definitely, <laughs> I think I'm definitely going to let Sloan and Tate have a few like tweets from my account during the game. Um, <laughs> but I'm not going to, I'm not going to say like who's, who's saying what and when. So I think they, they will have a good time with that. Um, but yeah, it, it's just like I never watched a Notre Dame game from that perspective. The last Notre Dame game I watched from the stands, spring game, sixteen, wow, an actual game was against Texas A and M in two thousand one. It was the opener, and the next week, 
This is how much college football has changed. Number one, Nebraska came to South Bend for <laughs> the first red out of a couple that we've seen over our, our time. But uh, yeah, it's been a minute. It'll be interesting to sort of take the Notre Dame game in from that perspective. But um, yeah, it's, I mean, you certainly look at Notre Dame. Could they go up to, they're sitting there at eight in the college football playoff poll. I think getting to six is really realistic by the time we're talking next week after the next Tuesday poll. Yeah, I mean, uh, you sounded like you were quoting Rudy there, by the way. I haven't seen one from the stands. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a possibility. I mean, we get this. I mean, you put out a poll on Sunday. Yeah, Sunday on Twitter. Thought experiment, pick one conclusion to the season. Playoff loss to Georgia or a Fiesta win over Michigan. 72% picked Fiesta win over Michigan. Um, This is why, like, everyone, like, cites polls and says, how'd you frame the question? This and that. When you put it, when you put them in that context, loss versus win, I think the natural instinct, especially when you're clicking and scrolling through your feed is a click win every time. But I want, I mean, I wanted to, I wanted somebody to look at that poll and be like, ah, like to be sort of uncomfortable before they made the decision. Um, Cause like as if I had put lost to Georgia win over wake forest, Lost to Georgia, I think would have carried the day. No, that's a, that's um, an interesting that, point. You know, I, Michigan is was intentionally framed that way. Um, and uh, you know, I'm sort of writing my mailbag for tomorrow, and there's this, this uh, I, I, a major uh, dark cloud questioner asks, like, well, what if Notre Dame loses uh, a New Year's Six game? Like, why would you assume that they would just win that? You know, how would that affect recruiting? And it's like, look. Whether Notre Dame wins or loses a New Year's Six game, I don't think would affect recruiting either way, mm-hmm. whether they lost to Michigan or they beat Wake Forest or anything in between. Making the playoff do- consistently affects recruiting. That's yes. why those teams recruit as well as they do. So if you're looking for the recruiting angle, you're better off losing to Georgia than you are beating Michigan. Um, I don't think it's got a huge impact on recruiting, but to advertise yourself as a team that's always in the playoff, even if you're not winning there, I think is a real a real, real positive for Notre Dame. Yeah. I mean, I think I understand why, and I'd be curious to see the results if it didn't have the win and loss there, just like, what would you rather happen? Because look, fans are very invested in their programs. They've been through a lot covering this team. I completely understand the natural instinct of like, Oh God, here we go again. I don't want to subject myself to this, but like taking that aspect out of the equation, like chance to win a national championship, or not a chance to win a national championship. Like it, it's, yeah. I hate to oversimplify and it, but is, it is that simple. And this, but I mean, this is like a free roll kind of season, right? Like that's the point. We've we we've covered Notre Dame teams. Like 2015 was a disappointment. That team that was a playoff team that didn't make the playoffs. That, that was a team that this, would have at least this, challenged for a championship. Yeah, th- to me, this is not a playoff team that might make the playoffs. Well, well that that's um, why I think like. When you eliminate that, you eliminate like the hurt, the disappointment. Like, why not? Let it roll. Let's see how far we can take this. Yeah, just have fun with it on this one. Um, You know, I I don't... If Notre Dame goes to the playoff and they lose to Georgia by 28 points, I'm not going to be writing any big takeaway think pieces about Notre Dame and its place in the college football playoff and like, you know, is is this ever going to happen? Like, you know what's going to happen before it happens on that one. And, And that's... And, and in that instance, I think it's probably okay. Like that, that would be a hell of a season for Notre Dame to make it. Um, but you know, it, I, 
put it this way. After the game, I don't think I'm going to ask Brian Kelly, what's your first next step? <laughs> um, and sort of let the let it roll from there. So it, uh, I, I'm more inclined. Like, I, I get the benefits of both. Winning a New Year's Six game would be a box check mm-hmm. that has just been sort of like this annoying, why the hell has Notre Dame not won a New Year's Six game since the 1993 season? Get that out of the way. There's value in that. Sure. The greater value is going to the playoff again and being in the conversation and being like we see the talent consolidating around teams that go to the playoffs. Better to be in that group than not. Um, and if you made it a third time, man, there there is no questioning about where you fit in the sport at that point. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, put it in this context, right? Regardless of how the playoff games were to shake out, three back-to-back playoff berths, especially with this team. Third playoff berth in the eight-year history of this, so that's almost every other year. And again, like that's that's where those teams that are recruiting so well reside. And if you lose, if you lose big, so be it. I mean, I'm glad Luganville brought up Oklahoma because I think they're in a very similar situation every day, and they haven't gotten yes. like the the national um, you know criticism, if you will. But what was the score when they were last in the playoff? I remember they gave up 49 at halftime, which was comical. I think the final against LSU was 63 to 28 or something to that effect. Like it doesn't get more embarrassing than that. You know, like and no one's like knocking. They're not Oklahoma because they lost last week. They're not knocking Oklahoma because they made four playoffs because that's a recruiting point that Lincoln Riley is selling to future recruits. So um, not to make everything about the playoff, but if you have a chance to get in, let's not like beat around the bush either. Notre Dame, say what you want about their schedule. It is harder for Notre Dame to make the playoff because they're an independent. Like they will have to greatly outdo multiple conference champions in order to make the playoff in a year in which they don't go undefeated. And we've talked about this before. Like Notre Dame, nine years out of 10, has to go 12 and 0 to make the playoff. Last year didn't count because they were in a conference last year. This year, probably 11 and 1. Maybe they got a chance. I mean, I. I I think it's possible, not probable. Um, well, they definitely have a chance. Yeah, which, um, but two weeks ago we were not thinking this at all. Yeah, it's just like it's uh, the whole conference champion bonus point. When if Oklahoma State sweeps Oklahoma, they're in, or vice versa. Yeah, um, that that team is probably going to go over Notre Dame, um, especially if it's Oklahoma State, based on the fact that they're eight and nine right now. Um, you know, Tom made a good point. Cincinnati could lose a game, but it's probably better if Cincinnati loses to Houston. Yeah, good point. Um, than if they lose to SMU, so they're not a conference champion. Um, so that's that's all that's all complicated stuff for Notre Dame. But you know, this weekend, I'll go first on a prediction. I I mean, I think that Notre Dame will play well. I don't I don't expect a sort of a senior day hangover. Notre Dame knows how to put teams like Georgia Tech away, and Georgia Tech knows how to put itself <laughs> away in these kinds of moments. So. I, you know, maybe it won't be a butt kicking, um, but it will be good enough that nobody on the ESPN show next week is going to be like, oh, Notre Dame, like they really struggled with Georgia Tech. Um, so I'll go, I'll go Notre Dame 38, Georgia Tech 17, um, three touchdown win, pretty comfortable. Uh, and Notre Dame sort of stays in the top 10 and moves by default because Ohio State and Michigan State play, they move up at least one spot if not two. We are on the same wavelength again. I got 34-17. Um, line is 17 and a half, so I guess that's actually not a cover. Uh, Over-under is 59 and a half. Uh, the weather will cooperate and help him to possibly reach that 
um, this weekend, but I, I think it's a pretty ho-hum affair this Saturday. All right. Well, we'll wrap up on that. Um, we will be back on Saturday post game um, with some kid banter. We uh, won't be field but, at Notre Dame Stadium. By the way, we should have recorded on our drive back to Richmond because I was behind the wheel. It's the middle of the night. There's no one on the road. Pete's filing his story like a madman in the back seat, and we came very, very close. Pete had his head down. He didn't see it. We were very close to taking I out. Felt a ten, a ten I felt point, the swerve. I felt the swerve. 10-point buck at 90 miles per hour. Yeah. Uh, those things are everywhere down there, and they are frightening. Um, they, the expression is yeah. deer to headlights for a reason. <laughs> um, it, it really yeah, sneaks God. up on you. So until Saturday, I don't know, maybe uh, Sloan and Tate will make a guest, experience, <laughs> a guest appearance on the Shamrock post game. Um, they've been... Man, they've been really hammering me to start their own podcast called The Clover because they've got some hot Notre Dame takes. So maybe maybe you guys will all get to hear a little bit of that on Saturday. So until then, he's Matt in Chicago. I'm Pete in South Bend. Thanks for being with us on the latest episode of The Shamrock. The Shamrock.